Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. My guest this week has a doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Queensland and is a member of the Australian College of Clinical Psychologists. She has worked for Triple P International for the past 15 years, providing training and support to practitioners and agencies in Triple P Positive Parenting Program the world-renowned evidence-based program developed at the University of Queensland, Australia, and and has a particular interest in child and adolescent anxiety. When she's not working, she enjoys spending time with her family and friends, drinking tea and walking her Cocker Spaniel Lucy. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for agreeing to spend some time with us and tell us about your story and about anxiety in children and teenagers and um, what that looks like and you know how we can help so first of all let's take a step back um doctorate in clinical psychology and um an interest in child and adolescent anxiety like how did you get there well when I left school Claire I like many people didn't know what I wanted to do and I actually started studying commerce which was not suited to my personality at all but um, I started doing that and then at the university that I was at I was able to it was quite flexible so I was able to study different uh, subjects so I was hopeless at accounting but I started I started doing this subject called group facilitation and training and it was part of organizational psychology so you could major in organizational psychology through the commerce degree and I started getting interested in that and thinking oh that's really interesting I'm liking this this is this is more my cup of tea and uh then what I did was I changed over so I finished the commerce degree but I changed over and started psychology after that thinking that I would probably do organisational psychology because that would make sense because I had a college degree. And then I thought, oh, actually, I find this really boring now. And I like clinical psychology, which was more more sort of interesting to me. And uh, so that's how I got into psychology and clinical psychology. And in actually my honours year, I did... um, after my honours year, actually, I worked as a research assistant on a program for children with anxiety. Oh. Yeah, and then later on I came back to that to study that in my postgraduate degree as well. So I, I did another program with children with anxiety then. So that's sort of how you really got into being interested in the child anxiety game, as it were. Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay, so look, what is anxiety like what like how does it look in children well anxiety is our body's response to the expectation of threat or danger so it's a little bit like our inbuilt alarm system 
Right. So, like a flight or fight or flight. That's right. Yeah. And actually some people say fight, flight or freeze now as well. Freeze. <sighs> yeah. Sorry. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And um, yeah. so if you imagine that you're crossing the road and suddenly a car comes speeding towards you, your inbuilt alarm system is set off and that helps you to react to the situation. So it, um, it, it protects you from harm to get it out of the way of the car. So in many situations, anxiety is actually helpful because it protects mm. us from threat or danger. But like any alarm system, it isn't perfect. So sometimes we can experience anxiety in situations that aren't dangerous. And just like if you imagine a smoke alarm that goes off at, um, when the toast is burning, that's not perfect either. That's like our anxiety, our inbuilt alarm system isn't perfect either. And for some people, their alarm system is triggered more easily than others as well. And so it can be complicated to sort of tease it out, but it's it's part of, it's made up of different systems, anxiety. So for instance, you've got a physiological system. So if you think of that alarm system being triggered, what you might notice in your body are physiological changes. So you're far getting heart or you might have butterflies in your tummy. And often we're quite aware of those physiological changes. When we start feeling sick in our tummy or we've got a headache, we're aware of that. So that's one system. But another part of that anxiety puzzle or system is what we call the cognitive system. And so that's the things that we say to ourselves in our head. And often we're not so much aware of those, not so much aware of that. So if, if we imagine that we, a child gets invited to a birthday party, for instance, and on the way to the party they notice that their heart is beating fast and they feel sick in their stomach, that would be the physical system. Now, now what then might happen is that the child starts saying to themselves, I can't do this. No one's going to talk to me. Everyone will think I'm weird. So that, that's those thoughts that are going inside your head. So that's that cognitive system. And then so what might happen there is that then the child might say to their parent, I don't want to go. I feel sick. I just want to go home. And so they might avoid the situation. That's, that might be the thing that they do in the situation. And that's what we call that behavioural system. So there's three sort of different systems and they all interconnect to um, create that experience of anxiety for us. Wow. Okay. And uh, like I, I wanted, I've just noted it down actually, because I want to go back because you said there are some people who um, for them, anxiety, uh, they, they're more predisposed. Predisposed. Oh. Yeah, that's the word. Sorry, trying to get my teeth around the right way um, to anxiety and things like that. So is that something that is nature or nurture? So is that genes or is that what they pick up from people around them as such? It's a really good question. And it's actually often a combination of factors. So okay. we know that certainly genetics play a part, like in most, like most things. So yeah. anxiety runs in families. We know that, so for instance, if you have anxiety, often you also have other members of the family who have anxiety as well. Okay. But is that then picked up because members of the family are anxious and, yeah. and you as a child, because let's face it, Kids at between the ages of zero to three, well, you know, kids in general, just are so acutely attuned into 
parents, family, people around them mm-hmm. that things like anxiety, depression, um, anger, you know, all of the different, and I'm just naming all the, you know, ones that are maybe negative, but happy and, you know, joy and um, positivity, all of those things uh, influence the child. Sure, sure. So it is a combination. So uh, when when we talk about, you're right, when we talk about anxiety running in families, obviously that can be related to genes or it could also be related to the family environment, can't it? So okay. it, is, it is a combination. But we know from research, for instance, from twin research with um, identical twins that, you know, genetic influences play a part. But you're right, certainly so do family influences as well as other things in the environment too. So things at school, friendships, Mm. Um, other activities they all play a role as well Um, and in addition to that you've got um, so some children are born with an anxious temperament and so they're more likely and if we think of temperament think of it like personality like a personality trait for instance yeah and I can I can see that completely yeah no definitely I could yeah yeah and and some kids just have an innate extra security system where they go well I'm not jumping off that brick wall mm-hmm. that's like sure. you know six meters high yes um but then I know kids who will just go for it and jump off it and they have no fear factor mm-hmm. whatsoever yes um and I'm and I know it's not from their parents as such mm-hmm. you know I know it must be from in their genes or whatever I don't know but yeah that, that makes sense so for some children then much more inhibited than other children as well. And you can get, as you said, those two extremes where you've got children who are very wary and then children who possibly aren't wary enough, for instance, yes. as well. Yes. And so, but for anxious children or, or those children who have that anxious personality when they're born, they, anything new or any change in their routine, they can find very upsetting as well. So you've got things like in terms of the things that cause anxiety, you've got you've got a genetic factor, you've got a temperamental factor. And now even with research with uh, neurobiology, for instance, they've found uh, some information or or some research showing that the part of the brain called the amygdala can be overactive in in children as well. And, And when we're talking before about that flight, fight or freeze response, the amygdala is part of is responsible for that response so that makes sense too so that part of the brain has been more easily triggered as well and the amygdala is where in the brain just so people are aware oh now you're testing my oh god i'm sorry so the cortex right so just so it's so the core the cortex is a bit at the front of the brain isn't it yes that's right that's okay just so people aren't confused because that's the bit at the front of the brain which says that you know children you know this is what is growing and developing between the ages of like zero and three or whatever is the cortex and empathy and emotion and all of that stuff in the cortex um and the amygdala and this is where I need to google it while we're on the podcast I think is more in the center isn't it and somebody please tell me um anyway but like yeah uh, that's okay I just didn't want to people to get those two bits confused because I know the cortex at the fun is what everyone is talking about you know everyone when you bring children up that's what everything refers to is that front part of the brain but this isn't the front yes. part of the brain and while we're on here I will google it and find out where that is <laughs> sorry it's all good it's fine um okay sorry I stopped your flow right. and the other thing that I was going to say in terms of uh what causes anxiety so we've talked about genetics temperament 
those sort of environmental influences as well. And the other thing is some children will experience a, a traumatic event or a stressful life event, so um, which can then lead for some children to develop a fear of, so for instance, a child who might be bitten by a dog might then go on to develop a fear of dogs, yeah. but that's not necessarily the case. So often it's a combination of factors and uh, a lot of these things that we've talked about, though, you can't really change. But what some of you know what we talk about those environmental influences, so things in the family, things at school, friendships, they're more likely to be able to be changed than genetics or temperament. Obviously, they're they're fixed. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we all, but it, but it, okay, but it's it's natural for us to have this anxiety or a level of anxiety, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because it saves us, doesn't sure. it? Sure. It's, it's, it's very helpful. Everyone experiences anxiety and it can be helpful, but it can also be unhelpful if you're experiencing too much anxiety. Well, this is the thing. So this is why I was I was sort of because because you know you can be anxious and anxious sometimes is classed as nerve nerves when you're going on stage or you know if you've got to talk in front of people you can be anxious but that's good because it's spark you know it's getting your brain sparked up to get into action and things like that. And like you said, crossing the road, you know, um, well, anxiety crossing the road, maybe not, but like, you know, the fight, fly or freeze situation, um, they're all good. They're all healthy for us. Being anxious about jumping off of a six metre door wall, it's probably a good thing because you might break your legs. You know, there's all these, it's all in risk analysis as such. But then when, does anxiety really become like a problem and 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 especially like I can understand from an adult perspective um when anxiety would become a problem and you're anxious to like leave the house or you know deal with work situations etc but like when does it become a problem within children and and how do we recognize it well it's it's fairly similar um in terms of children as well, it's when it becomes so distressing that children become so upset that it stops them from doing things that they need or want to be able to do. Mm, Okay, that's a good description. So, for instance, you know, a child being worried about being away from their parents so they're unable to, they find it really hard to go to kindergarten or they're worried about something about at school that's happening at school and so they're really, they're refusing to go to school. So that when it gets to the point where they're avoiding situations or becoming so distressed about entering a situation that they need to be able to do, then that's when you would sort of say this is this is a problem and maybe we need to access some sort of support or help or help with this. Yeah, and I and so like things like what what potential things would uh, do, do parents need to watch out for? Because look, um I know that when my son is anxious or under stress, he just doesn't sleep. He is through in my bedroom at like, you know, 2, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And, and I've grown to know that over the last probably couple of years. So last year of kinder, first year of school, because there have been certain things that have happened within his life. And now I sit there and I recognize because I've found out, unfortunately, I've found out like, after the fact um and you go oh now I understand why you weren't sleeping that's fair enough and so now I'm 
really cognizant of like, you know, oh, he's not sleeping. Let's just keep an eye on what's going on and, you know, speak to his teacher, et cetera, et cetera, and find out what's happening in his world um, to try and understand and deal with that um, situation. But like, what, are, are there anything else, uh, anything else, uh, apart from obviously the things where the children are verbalised and I don't want to go to school, et cetera, is there anything else that, may come to mind regarding signs that you've got an anxious child? Mm. Well, I, I mean, it's a really good question because obviously some children... There's probably hundreds though, aren't there? <laughs> and, no, no, I, there, are, there are certainly, yeah, lots of different ways that anxiety can be expressed and it yeah. would be different for, for different children. And I think you're right with um, your own experience as a parent of that you've come to realise, as you said, in your own son that certain uh, behaviours are a bit of a sign to you that he must be feeling anxious because I think parents do know their children best and yes. they, they, they learn these things over time, don't they? And so, but you're right, sleep, sleep disturbance is really common for children with anxiety and also uh, eating eating disturbance. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well, I hadn't thought of that because he just gobbles everything yeah. down. <laughs> but, yeah, no, but you're right, yeah. exactly. If you're feeling sick in your tummy because you're nervous, then you don't necessarily want to eat so much on school mornings, for instance. So they may not. See, some children don't express their anxiety verbally. So yes. they, they find it hard to express their feelings. Uh, so it might be more subtle signs like that where they're not sort of eating much for breakfast, for instance, on school mornings. Uh, it might be that they've, they're complaining of headaches or um, asking sort of questions is another way that children will show their anxiety. So checking, checking for reassurance from their parents, checking it'll be okay. And it, look, it can look really different because if we think of anxiety, we tend to think of kids who are anxious as being quite shy and clingy and um, withdrawn, quiet, not having a lot of confidence. But actually anxiety can look quite different for children and in some cases it can look more like aggressive behaviour or shouting or yelling and particularly if we move into those older age groups as well in those teenage years as well, it can be quite difficult to tease apart from what we would normally put down to, oh, they're just going through adolescence versus anxiety as well. Even um, overactivity in kids or what we would sort of say is attention-seeking behaviour where kids get a little bit silly in some situations, uh, that the underlying cause of that can be anxiety as well. And for those children, it's just difficult for them to verbally express it, so they're expressing it in different ways. And um, it's particularly common in boys to see that sort of irritability or even physical aggression. Wow, Sometimes, yes. you know, in schools those children may be labelled as bullies or troublemakers and in actual fact underlying that behaviour is anxiety. Not, in, not yeah. in all cases, obviously, but in some cases. So it's important to explore that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And does um, and does sometimes, and it's just in the back of my brain here, like does sometimes 
an anxious child get labeled with um, like the ADHD um, sort of label or mm. autism or whatever. Um, and I, and I, and I know <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to sort of put you in a position, but like, cause I know there's a fine, fine line between all of that. And it's such a, like all of this is such a, complex situation because it is really down to the individual child and mm-hmm. you as a parent knowing your child and the school you know coming on board and supporting you as well mm-hmm. and and you all getting together to help your child but mm-hmm. I just with with some of the things that you're actually mentioning mm-hmm. regarding the aggressiveness regarding the um you know, the various different things that are cues um, for potential anxiety, anxious child, they could all be misinterpreted as well as the ADHD and autism sort of spectrum stuff. Well, what what tends to happen with autism and ADHD is actually you often find children with those conditions also have high anxiety, so they sit alongside each It's not necessarily a confusion of a diagnosis, but actually a lot of children with autism also have a lot of anxiety. So, for instance, changes in routine can cause a lot of anxiety for children with autism. But well, this is that was exactly what I was thinking. That when you brought that up, I was like, okay, so transitions, mm-hmm. changes, etc. Um, mm-hmm. So, so. Potentially, some of these potentially some of these things could highlight the fact that well maybe there's something more having an anxious child there's something more underlying and not the other way around which is how I put it I'm not very good at putting things this morning well what well what often you can have so you can have children with anxiety obviously just with just anxiety but they're not but with children, there are children who have other conditions as well, like ADHD and autism. But um, in addition to that, they will also experience anxiety as well. And so it can be a little bit difficult to tease out sometimes. But those conditions also have other symptoms that you look for. So for from a diagnostic perspective, that professionals are very good at kind of teasing all of that out. But it's very, very common to see anxiety amongst both of those conditions. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you're finding that your child is being anxious, um, is um, sort of coming across with some of the cues that we've said, like not eating, not sleeping, um, asking them the questions just generally uh, you know not doing well with change mm. transitioning etc like what what can parents actually do what's like what's the first step well there's lots of different ways that we as parents can respond and some are more helpful than others in the long term so and, and there's not a right way to respond in every situation as such. So it's it's a little bit about being flexible for the situation and having a range of different sort of strategies or responses because sometimes a child might be anxious about a situation that's coming up and other times a child might be anxious about a situation right in the moment as well. So sometimes you have to have a different different ranges of responses or, or strategies. Uh, but if, if, for instance, we imagine a child has a fear of dogs and so whenever, whenever the parent and the child are together, maybe walking to school and they see a dog, 
imagine that they cross the road to avoid it. Mm. So in the short term, this reduces the child's anxiety. Right. They're safe. Yes, I see, I see. But in the long term, what happens is by crossing the road and avoiding the dog, the anxiety continues and in most cases it get, it gets worse over time as well. Right. And so because the child's not learning that they can cope with their anxiety, they can cope with the situation and that catastrophic thing that they think is probably going to happen, the dog is going to attack me or bite me, doesn't happen. Yes. So they learn that. And so um, one of the things that parents can do to help children manage their anxiety in the long term is to encourage them to face those situations that they find anxiety provoking rather than avoiding them. And children can avoid them in obvious or subtle ways. So that's an obvious avoidance. Um, a subtle, you know, a more subtle avoidance is when we we're talking before about the child going to the birthday party. Um, imagine they go go to the party, but they're on the outskirts of the party and they don't really interact with anyone or talk to anyone. That would also be a way of avoiding the situation, even though you're still in the situation. So it can be a little bit complicated to tease out. Yeah, helping children to face those situations rather than to avoid them is really um, important in terms of helping children to manage their anxiety in the long term. Uh, but it's easier said than done, obviously, because sometimes children can be really distressed and, of course, as parents it's really hard for our, us to see our children in distress and our natural it's natural for us to sort of stop the distress or to reduce the distress and so taking them out of the situation seems to be the thing that works. Yes, and uh, I'm not sure... There was a Greek, <laughs> there's a Greek philosopher, good old David Blaine. I was listening to David Blaine this morning and um, David Blaine has a, was afraid of spiders. So he had real anxiety around spiders. Bear in mind, this is David Blaine who holds his breath for 45 minutes and or whatever it was, 17 yes. minutes. And, you know, it does all these crazy, crazy stunts where he goes without food for 44 days and, you know, stuff like this. Um, but he was afraid of spiders. And it mainly came from his mother. And um, he... Was she afraid of spiders as well, was she? Yeah. And, mm. so, and so that, in a way, that nature, nurture, whatever. And... Yes. Um, but um, it was interesting because he then said that he had to immerse himself in – he was he went to Africa and, like, basically was in a tent and, like, he made friends with all the creepy crawlies and bugs and stuff in the tent because they were a lot better than the hippos that were sitting outside the tent that were wanting to rip him apart. So it's very bizarre. He said he just immersed himself in it and, the, the, you know, and there's apparently Greek philosophers, and I don't know whether it was – Aristotle, Socrates, whatever, but and I was trying to um, look up uh, who it was actually, who used to direct, so he was very conscious of what people thought of him. Um, and so he actually decided that he would dress in gregarious colours and various different things. So it made people talk about him and it made people comment on him. So he actually then dealt with his anxieties around um, people's views and opinions on him. So it was interesting. It's quite interesting that we're having this conversation and I was listening to it this morning. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for that. So, it's, yeah, it's like immersing yourself in it seems to um, deal with 
that fear is such well, it's a fear the fear anxiety is such and maybe I've got confused and muddled up by anxiety and fear there um well but yeah well and it's interesting because I, I suppose the immersing to me sounds like something that we would probably call flooding which oh yes is um which is one technique but in in the program that that we have um at Triple P, which is the fearless program, what we what we encourage parents to do is to do it in a very gradual way and a very planned way, so that children don't become too distressed and that they feel confident in moving. It, we call it a fear ladder, and so the idea is you break a fear down into small gradual steps, and you practice those steps over and over until you feel more comfortable to move on to the next step so you start with an easy step so in the example of um, the spiders that you gave us the first step might be just looking at spiders in a book for instance okay and so you might do that and practice that every day until you feel kind of okay with that your anxiety around that has reduced significantly and so then the next thing might be to watch a video of spiders because that might be a little bit harder than what looking at a picture because the spiders are moving Yes. So you're gradually moving up, um, doing slightly more difficult things each time until you get to the point where you might be able to, maybe your goal would be to hold the spider in a glass in your hand, for instance. It depends what you want to get to really. But so you do it in gradual ways. And the same would go with, as we are talking about, the fear of the dogs. You wouldn't just go to the dog park and stand there. That, God, be, no. that might be your final step. <laughs> that might be the final step, but breaking it down into really gradual steps so the child feels confident and comfortable at each step when they're practising. So, and and look and and being wary, I have to say, and being wary, and my God, if you saw the spider that was on my curtain a week ago, um, yeah. So I so I also sort of go become a single parent, and then you have nobody else actually to deal with the spider that's sitting on your curtain, and then you've got to really go and deal with it. And even and all the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up even now. I talk about it, and like yeah, good old huntsman's. But having that innate fear of spiders and dogs and stuff like that isn't a bad thing either so I suppose it's getting that because there are dogs out there that are um you know that are um a little bit unhinged and um potentially don't like kids and will have a bit of a chew um or same with postmen and adults and stuff like that so you know and I suppose it's really understanding the dog's brain and and how they're actually working as well uh, I'm not sure yeah. anyone can understand a spider's brain apart from the fact that it's just spinning webs and wanting to eat stuff um and not us really it's more afraid of us but um yeah okay so I understand so that so that is your fearless course that you've got within triple p is that the right word for it it's a it's a program yeah so it's it's an online program and there are okay. six modules and they take about 45 minutes or an hour for parents to complete each module. And okay. the great thing about it is that it's self-guided and so um, and it's online. So parents can do it in their pyjamas um, with a cup of tea <laughs> and they cool. can keep on coming back to it. So they don't have to sit down for an hour to do, complete a module. They might just do 10 minutes and then they come back to it when it suits them as well. Okay, okay. And so is this something that the parent then works through yeah, that's right. on their own and then will implement with the child or do you sit 
does your child sit with you? Is this sort of like tips and hints on how to deal it's, with it's a, anxiety in children? Yeah, it, it's a great question. So it's actually just a parenting program. So right. That's so it's not something necessarily for the child to do, but it, it's it's information and strategies and ideas for the parents to then help teach their child how to cope with anxiety. And what's quite unique about it is that it's a instead of focusing on just one child in the family, it it the program talks about it being a, a program for the entire family. And so okay. to use it for all the children in the family and ideally for, for the parents as well. So all the family members are trying out the strategies because another thing that we can do as parents is think about our reactions to anxiety as well. And when we're stressed and anxious, how do we react? And what are, that, what are our kids sort of learning about how to deal with stress and anxiety by watching us as well? So being yeah. aware of how we react is also something that we talk about in the program as well. But there's lots of different um, parts of the program. So it, would it be helpful for me to just go through? Yes. Oh, yes, please. Please go through. Yeah, yeah let's let's go through so that. In terms of the modules, we start off talking about what is anxiety, what does it look like in children, what causes anxiety. And we've talked a little bit about that before. Yeah. And then um, there's, once that's covered, because the modules are completed um, consecutively. So once you've done that, and if you want to sit down and do a couple of modules together, you can. So it's not limited. It's very flexible in terms of how you want to access the program. And then the next module is talking about how can we promote emotional resilience in our children. So what are the things we can do as parents to help our kids become more emotionally resilient? And what, what we mean by that is help them bounce back from situations that can be challenging or stressful. And what are the things that we can do as parents? So it goes through a range of different ideas. And then module three is talking about that cognitive system of anxiety that we were talking about earlier. And so what we cover in that module is helping parents to learn some ways to teach their children to be flexible, realistic thinkers, which is really important when it comes to anxiety as well. And then in the next module after that, parents learn how to help their children to overcome avoidance. So that very common way in terms of um, behaviour that we tend to respond to in anxiety-provoking situations is to sort of escape the situation or to try and get out of it. So what are some ways that parents can help their children overcome avoidance? We look at that. And then in the next module, which is module five, we look at ways that parents can respond to children's anxiety and we look at all the ways that the most common ways I think we cover 13 different ways that parents can respond to their children's anxiety some are helpful and some are less helpful right. and it's really um, encouraging parents to consider which ones are the more helpful ones in terms of the long term um, versus the short term and um that's, that can be really useful for parents to sort of have that information because it gives parents a few more options because often when parents are managing um, anxiety in children, it can be really frustrating um, and it can be um, really stressful for parents. 
and often you get to the point where you just feel like you've run out of options almost. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And you don't want to see it. Nobody wants to see their child in an anxious, you know, painful state as such. Um, and when I mean painful, I don't mean like physical pain. I mean like, you know, well, it can be physical pain, like we've said, you know, where they're not eating and they've got stomach ache and headaches or, yeah. you know, nobody nobody wants to see your child like that. But also yeah. sometimes you sit there and go, well, I don't know what to do. That's um, right. Yeah. And so often we go to for parents of anxiety as children is to either be overprotective or to become frustrated and impatient and and i suppose angry the frustration the frustration builds up yeah and 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 both of the and sometimes it's a combination of those responses too and all of those very understandable Oh, exactly. Oh, no, exactly. And the thing is, but potentially, like you said, they're not helpful. So I suppose sometimes they could be helpful, um, but I'm thinking not very many times. Yeah. So, so that's why why that module can be really important for parents, and they find it really helpful to see some different ways of responding to their child's anxiety. Yeah help build their child's confidence in their capacity to cope with anxiety-provoking situations. So that's a great module. Well, they're all great modules. You know, parents find all the information that's covered really useful. And parents will be different in terms of what they find useful anyway out of the module. And then the last module, we look at how we can teach children to problem solve because often children with anxiety will look to other people to solve their problems. They look for their parents to tell them what to do in a particular situation. Mm. And so this is really about promoting children to become independent problem solvers. So we cover some steps around that as well. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Is there yeah. is there any stage with an anxious teen or child that you need to say okay I can't do this myself I can't use the fearless triple p um program um I really need to get extra help at what stages as a parent would you be saying right I need to and what and where is there extra help out there well um I think the online program is always a great starting point and depending on where people are located, it's it's actually free for some parents as well, depending on oh, okay, cool. in Australia. Uh, and the best way to sort of find out more about that is to go to our parent website. Yeah, which is at the triple P. Um, triple P dot- dash parenting dot net dot au. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and head across there because I think – correct me if I'm wrong but I think it's now free in Victoria and also in Queensland that's right yes yeah yeah um come on WA South Australia (laughs) Northern Territories and also New South Wales come on you know we've got anxious children out there that need our help yeah and um yeah but I feel sure it's in those two states that it's yeah free which is really exciting I think because more than ever now with the pandemic and the increase for anxiety in children and 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 also parents. I mean, we've from our research, we know that you know um, children are experiencing seventy percent a seventy percent increase in anxiety in terms of the symptoms that they're reporting. Parents are um, reporting over two hundred percent increase in their uh, stress and anxiety since the pandemic. 
Oh, look, definitely. Look, I completely agree with you. I, be, I mean, I've been very, very lucky. I still have a job all the way through the pandemic, but there are people who have lost their jobs. Um, and being a single parent during a pandemic where there is just you in the household and there is just me here and I don't have any other help. So if my son comes back from school and has COVID, well, it's highly likely I'm going to get it. But then there's all the anxiety around, well, you know, if I get it, do I get vaccine? Do I know, you know, and all of those things and being a single parent, mm -hmm. you know, you just, you're, you're doing it on your own basically. And you can't lock yourself away in the, you know, master bedroom with the ensuite or whatever and hope that, you know, your partner's going to look after your children and not get COVID because because you are the only one there. The buck stops at you. So, um, oh, I completely, 110%, especially like, I know I felt anxious at the beginning of the pandemic because none of us really knew what was going on and what was happening and whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And I suppose we've got a little bit used to it as we've, as time mm. has gone on and it's, yeah, I suppose we've just handled it mm. however best we could, mm. but completely. Yeah. I completely agree. Anxiety. Yeah. Has definitely, was definitely went through the roof for me um, a couple of times over the last couple of years. Yeah. I don't know what effect that had on my son either. Do you know what I mean? Cause he's obviously picking up on all of that. Sure. And I think that certainly our parenting has changed. You know, obviously when we're feeling more stressed and anxious as parents, that affects our ability to parent as well. So I think it's just helpful for parents to acknowledge that, that there has been an increase in anxiety and stress for, for everyone during the pandemic, whether we're aware of it or not. Even I think just that ongoing stressor has listed our anxiety have lifted our anxiety levels without even yeah. necessarily being aware of it we've got as you said we've kind of got used to it yeah. I think that we need to be a bit more mindful of that and be bit bit more kinder to ourselves as parents because we need to look after ourselves first and um, before we can then sort of it's like that oxygen mask analogy looking after yeah. and being mindful of that that you are more stressed and anxious probably than what you have been over the past couple of years and that's affecting you know everyone in the family as well and children are more anxious and stressed as well and you put that combination together so being being mindful of that and looking after yourself and taking some time to try and relax whatever that looks like for you and however you manage that particularly for sole parents as well as you mentioned it can be a lot more tricky and uh and and just being a bit kinder to ourselves first and kinder to our and then as a result kinder to our children I think can be really helpful to remember yeah I look I think I think you're right Jane because there's, there was a lot of stress I call it stress and pressure but I suppose it's anxiety really around um homeschooling look um you're in you're in Brisbane really? I'm in Melbourne my Melbourne was one of the you know it's the longest lockdown city in the world right so there was a lot of anxiety around well what is homeschooling what affects this homeschooling and my son's six so it was his first year at school and what you know maybe potentially some people would say his first year at school ah you don't need to worry about that it's okay he'll catch up but there were other children obviously who are you know in year six and who are like in really important phases of their lives and they were 
being homeschooled and so the anxiety as a parent mm. around you know oh I don't want them to watch YouTube I don't want them to play this game you know I don't all of that stuff was like well what are the effects of all of this because I need some sanity time as well and you're right we need to all just give ourselves a break take a step back take a deep breath and go mm. okay we're now in endemic maybe stage and let's start moving forward what can we do I know we've lost the last well we didn't lose the last two years because I'm hoping we built barrier you know built bridges and in you know enhanced our communication with our kids and because we're all at home homeschooling but um yeah no it's now about moving forward and and who knows what's going to be happening with China and the Ukraine and, you know, and all of this is still, you know, it's all still building on that anxiety. So, yeah, no, and look, I think what you guys are doing at Triple P and, you know, the, the Fearless program is awesome, even better that it's free in certain places. Come on, the rest of the Australia, sort it out. Um, look, I think, yeah, I think it's great what you guys do. And it's, you, you've got, so, so. This is just an online course. There's not like you don't go somewhere to learn this. This is just online, isn't it? It's primarily online, but we are starting to train practitioners as well. Yeah. And so um, at the moment that we're in, in a process of doing that, so we started doing that last year. And, for instance, we do have some practitioners trained in Victoria and Queensland and um, we're, we've trained some practitioners in other countries as well, which is really exciting. And so it's starting, that's starting to grow, but that will take time. So for parents, if they're interested in accessing the program, the best point at this, at this time is to really um, try the online program and awesome. um, see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Look, Jane, thank you for coming and speaking to us today and telling us what anxiety is and all the various different things um, that can help us manage it with our children. Look, I have one final question to ask you. Um, if you had a superpower, and maybe it is to take away all the anxiety in all the children in all of the world, <laughs> but if you had a superpower, what would it be? Well, it's a great question and I wouldn't want to take away all the anxiety. Because well, that's true. We talked about it being helpful, didn't we? Yeah. So it's not eliminating it, but it's about being able to manage it effectively. So I had, I, I think my superpower would, I'd like to be um, able to travel through time. I'd be a time. <gasps> yeah, that would be awesome. Mm. Because you- I think you could go to all these important times in history. You could, I could revisit times in my own life I was going to say you could well. go back and go I'm not doing that doc- I'm not doing that degree in like commerce or whatever I'm just going to get straight into the clinical psychology and like get on because I love that yeah no oh yeah no I think and who knows who knows whether Elon Musk or any of those other guys will have given up on space and actually be looking at or maybe they will find some parallel wormhole in space that means that we can actually time travel. Mm. That would be interesting. Apparently, according to all these, um, and philosophers are the wrong words, but these like, you know, Nostradamus and I can't remember her name now, but there was a Eastern European one. Um, they reckon that in the next so many years, we will discover time travel. 
So you may get your wish. Well, that would be great. I'm not. I'm not hopeful because I'm thinking I'll be too old and I'll be dead by then. But perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I think we're both of us will be. But uh, but yeah. But you, you know, who knows? I, I, I've be great to um, the amygdala for you. Just to back to that. So it's oh. it's in as you said the um, it's not far from the hippocampus, so middle part of the brain. Um, it's called the temporal lobe. And it sits on top of the brain stem. Yeah, it's like a little almond-shaped thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Um, they're about the only two places I know in the brain. The rest of it's a mystery to me. Um, but hey-ho. Um, yeah, no. Oh, awesome. Thank you for that, Jane. Thank you. Um, cool. Well, look, time travel, I think, is really, really good. I think it's brilliant. Definitely uh, definitely one I would want. Definitely a superpower that I would want. So, look. Um, Thank you so much for because um, you're really busy. So thank you so much for uh, coming and joining us today. And um, hopefully if anyone needs to know any more information, I'll put all the relevant blurb in the podcast details. And um, yeah, get in touch with Jane and Triple P and um, yeah, see if that can help with the anxiety in your children or yourself thanks Claire no that's cool thank you thanks Jane well I'll speak to you later thanks hey everyone thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts if you'd like to support us further share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on and finally drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.